Welcome. Here at Waterstone, we focus on living and loving like Jesus. In practice, this means that we connect with one another, engage in justice, and serve others sacrificially. We are so glad that you're here and invite you to join us in person. If you're able to attend weekend services, we gather on Saturday at 5.30 and Sunday at 9 and 10.30. Isn't that a great story? Yeah. Great story. Greetings to you, grace and peace, in the name of Jesus Christ, and those of you joining us online as well. I want to begin today with a public statement. Uh, last week, if you were in our services or watched them, um, we had an announcement about the Southern Baptist Convention. I want to just read a statement of further development. Last week in our services, as well as in a congregational letter, Waterstone leadership shared our grief and grievance concerning the recent guidepost report that detailed sexual abuse allegations and the willful mishandling of sexual abuse reports by the executive committee of the Southern Baptist Convention over the last 20 years. The Waterstone elders met last Tuesday and unanimously decided to begin the process of disaffiliation from the Southern Baptist Convention. The primary reason for disaffiliation is because Waterstone is not a Southern Baptist church in heart or culture, holding a different view, for instance, on women in leadership. However, we also acknowledge that these allegations catalyzed our desire to separate at this time in order to register both protest and repentance as we meet with representatives of the Southern Baptists in the coming weeks. Ultimately, our disaffiliation will be decided by the members of Waterstone as it will require a deletion of the Southern Baptist affiliation from our church constitution. And we will keep our members informed of this process. If you have any questions or concerns, I would invite you to send us an email. There's addresses on the screen, and we would be happy to discuss that with you. I also think it's important to know that we are staying affiliated with a network of churches called Venture. Some of you old-timers in the room will remember that as the Conservative Baptist Association. So we're not out there alone on an island. We're still very much a part of a network of churches here in the Rocky Mountain region, uh, but we will just be affiliated with them moving forward. Let's pray together. Lord, uh, it's been some really good and hard weeks here at Waterstone. We've seen... Uh, People on our staff get married. We saw Friday night two kids who grew up at Waterstone make lifetime vows. It's just been a beautiful thing. We've seen babies born. We've seen people recover from sickness. We've seen just uh, kids grow and do fun things in the summer. We sit on the edge of vacation Bible school, which is like the best week of the year. All this good stuff. But, Lord, it's been hard for our congregation. We've lost loved ones. Gary Dempsey's funeral is tomorrow. A, a long timer here at Waterstone. We've, we've been sick. We have people in the hospital as we speak. Young moms struggling with uh, their baby. Um, uh, 
Lord, we need you. We're reminded of Ecclesiastes that for every time, for every season, there's lament and laughter. Keep us riveted to you, Lord. You've planted eternity in our hearts. Keep us mindful that you are working all things towards beauty, redemption, hope, and glory. Thank you for this privilege of gathering in your name, Jesus, in this moment. Now as we hear from a prophet, <laughs> Habakkuk, may Holy Spirit come, may we be offended. <laughs> may, we be, may we be knocked off center. May you challenge us. May you humble us. These are hard times. Continue to lead us to engage. Proclaiming and demonstrating the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Habakkuk is a small little book in the Old Testament. can never find it or spell it. And it has huge help for hard times. Like when babies cannot find formula. When seniors don't have the money to fill up their gas tanks. When Ukrainian soldiers don't have the ammunition for their guns. When we cannot keep our children safe in schools when we're all still trying to find some sense of new normalcy after a global pandemic in which millions died and millions and millions have been sick. Hard times in which we live. And Habakkuk is concerned that we as the people of God not escape, not pretend like nothing's happening out there, but engage, engage. And so today, we're going to hear from a prophet. And I just, I always feel when you preach from the prophets, there needs to be a warning label, right? Uh, I know that I'm going to say some hard things. Actually, not me, Habakkuk. And you will be offended. And if you are, I've done my job. Let's set the table for Habakkuk's context. He was in some hard days. Globally, an empire was rising, the Babylonian Empire. It has uh, accruing military power and strength, rising up in modern-day Iraq and Iran, and it's making a sweep across 
the Saudi Arabia, the Sinai Peninsula, and down all the way to Egypt. And what's happening is as they're rising to power, the waning Assyrian Empire and the waning Egyptian Empire are trying to collaborate and trying to come up with a plan and an army to fight against Babylon. And caught in the middle of all this is a little, little country in the, 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 the west called Judah, the remnant of a country called Israel to whom God had made promises and said, if you stay faithful to me, I will use you to be a light to the nations. And Judah's wondering what to do. Should we try to align with Babylon? Should we try to align with Egypt and Assyria? Should we make human political deals and stay alive? Or should we trust God? Because what God's saying is, I'm still engaged and in control and enthroned. Now, when we come to Habakkuk, what he's most upset about, it's a bit surprising to us, is not this massive army that's sweeping across the entire known world. He's more upset about his own people, Judah. Because as all this furniture is moving on the global scale, Israel has decided, well, we're just going to play it safe. We're going to keep our head down. We don't care what's outside the walls of our country. We just want our personal peace, comfort, and affluency. Leave us alone. We're happy. We don't need to worry about the law. We don't need to worry about justice or mercy, any of that. We're fat and happy. Leave us alone. And Habakkuk is upset. He's like, Lord, chapter 1, Paul talked about this last week. Lord, how long? Don't you see what Israel's doing? How long are you going to let this go on? And God's answer is, not long. Not long. Judgment has already made hotel reservations in every Jerusalem hotel under the name of Babylon. And that leads to a second complaint. Habakkuk says, Babylon? They're ten times worse than we are. How are you going to discipline your children by using a bully, a rapacious military machine named Babylon? Habakkuk is rooked. I mean, he's upset. So he goes out, chapter 2, verse 1, sits on a watchtower. He's just going to watch to the east. What's going to happen? God says, yeah, Habakkuk, they're coming. You should rent every billboard out in Jerusalem and put on there, Babylon is coming. And then verse 4 of chapter 2, where we left Habakkuk sitting last week on the watchtower, God says, look, you and Judah have a choice. Either you will rely on my word and trust me, even though I'm saying Babylon, or you can trust in human government. You can hope the Egyptians and the Assyrians can work a deal. You can try to keep your head down. Just play it safe. Those are your choices. Me or human ingenuity. Me or human government. Me, human power. Your choice. But God takes it further now into chapter 2, and he says, look, if you're going to trust in human government and human ingenuity and human power, here's what you're dealing with. I'm going to expose it for you. I'm going to give you a deconstruction of human government. Do you want to know what I know about human government? Here it is. So before you make up your mind, you should read this poem that Habakkuk's going to write about human government. Now, we're going to read this poem in a minute. And today we're going to talk about human government and how to respond to human government during hard times like we're in. But two things before I read it. This is kind of fun. <laughs> I hope. It's judgment. 
First, though, what this poem is, is a series of five woes. Have you ever read that word in the Bible? Woe. It's three letters that scare us. What a woe means in Hebrew poetry is two things. First, that they've been measured, they've been evaluated by God, and they're not measuring up. Judgment is coming. Woe. The second thing woe means is not only is judgment coming, but your days are numbered. You are doomed. Woe. I like to remind us that Jesus used this kind of language. Matthew 23, when he was so ticked off at his pastors because they were teaching that the way you connect with God was by being a good person and doing good things and totally leading people astray and away from Jesus. And so Jesus told his pastors, whoa, whoa. So as you hear this scripture, hear the woe. The other thing you should know is that Habakkuk's not the only prophet that's doing this sort of thing. Isaiah's doing woe about Babylon. Jeremiah's doing woe about Babylon. Ezekiel's doing woe about Babylon. And what you begin to understand is that this Babylon thing, which we'll talk about in a moment, it only lasted a hundred years. But from this point in history forward, God points to Babylon again and again and again as a symbol, as a shadow conspiracy of human government. What Babylon means moving forward is that every human government has within it power and idols and demons and just... Um, Things that influence societies and cultures that because it's run by a prideful, broken human heart, that government itself is always broken. So you see Peter and Paul in the New Testament calling the city of Rome Babylon. It's broken power. You see John in the Revelation, Revelation 18, saying something like, you should read it maybe later this week, Revelation 18. It's where every government has gone to die. Every government. Friends, as one who values America, America will be in Revelation 18 in the graveyard of governments. Because America has within it idols and influences and power that it has not stewarded well. We are broken. Every human government is broken. So we're going to unpack that today. And Habakkuk's going to give us wisdom about how we engage broken government. So with all that in mind, let's see God deconstruct human power in Habakkuk chapter 2, beginning at verse 6. Are you ready? Whoa. Whoa. Verse 6, will not all of them taunt him, Babylon, with ridicule and scorn, saying, Woe to him who piles up stolen goods. Sorry, I forgot to mention, this text is about 14 verses, but it's long. So stay with me, five slides. Buckle in. Here we go. 
Woe to him who piles up stolen goods and makes himself wealthy by extortion. How long must this go on? Will not your creditors suddenly arise? Will they not wake up and make you tremble? Then you will become their prey. Because you have plundered many nations, the peoples who are left will plunder you. For you have shed innocent blood, human blood. You have destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them. Woe to him who builds his house by unjust gain, setting his nest on high to escape the clutches of ruin. You have plotted the ruin of many peoples, shaming your own house and forfeiting your life. The stones of the wall will cry out and the beams of the woodwork will echo it. Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and establishes a town by injustice. Has not the Lord Almighty determined that the people's labor is only fuel for the fire, that the nations exhaust themselves for nothing? For the Lord, earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Woe to him! who gives drink to his neighbors, pouring it from the wineskin till they are drunk so that he can gaze upon their naked bodies. You will be filled with shame instead of glory. Now it is your turn. Drink and let your nakedness be exposed. The cup from the Lord's right hand is coming around to you and disgrace will cover your glory. The violence you have done to Lebanon will overwhelm you and your destruction of animals will terrify you, for you have shed human blood and have destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them. Of what value is an idol carved by a craftsman or an image that teaches lies? For the one who makes it trust in his own creation, he makes idols that cannot speak. Woe to him who says to wood, come to life, or to lifeless stone, wake up. Can it give guidance? It is covered with gold and silver. There's no breath in it. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. The word of the Lord. Do you notice, first of all, that God is very aware how big human power works? how empires work, how governments work. He talks about, for instance, the economy and how the economy, even in a uh, economy intended for good, like, much like ours, leaves some people well and some people not well. How empires exist by heavy burdens of debt and taxation, how empires exist by using enslaved people, captured people to build their buildings and their walls. Do you understand here that God knows that empires run on bloodshed, on having the most powerful weapons so that you can kill before being killed? Do you understand that God knows that governments work by um, building and projects and all that's gone into building infrastructure, 
Do you understand that God knows about how sometimes in that kind of building, uh, as it said in verse 17, that the environment is affected? And don't we think God notices that? How that in other places, this, uh, what government is corruption and the greasing of palms and the sliding of money under the table and the lobbying and the, the, uh, uh, the deal-making. And don't we know that sometimes that government is much about sexual promiscuity and what's allowed and what's not allowed and what's encouraged and what's not encouraged. And don't you know that above all things, what God sees in a government is their pride. Babylon, the actual Babylon. Do you know that it had a wall that was, picture this, 300 feet high and 87 feet high wide, that on top of the wall were entire towns and villages, and that because of this wall to keep everyone out, Babylon thought it was as impregnable as a country surrounded by oceans. It would never, ever fall. Impregnable. In Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 5, we see the way into uh, every empire. Indeed, wine betrays him. He is arrogant and never at rest because he is as greedy as the grave and like death itself is never satisfied. He gathers to himself influence. All nations takes captive all people. What makes empires tick above all these things beyond the bloodshed, beyond the economy, beyond the building is pride. Arrogant and never at rest, N never satisfied, pride. Babylon thought it was the wonder of the world, and even the Greeks said that the hanging gardens of Nebuchadnezzar around the governmental buildings were one of the wonders of the ancient world, pride. It runs by pride because human heart runs on pride. I uh, am a bit of a fan. They're growing on me more and more, this old rock band called Radiohead. <laughs> Several years ago, I cut out an article from Rolling Stone magazine where their frontman, Tom York, was interviewed. And Tom York said, I thought when I got to where I wanted to be, you know, like massively famous rock group, everything would be different. I'd be somewhere else. I thought it'd be all white, fluffy clouds. And then I got here and... I'm still here. The interviewer goes on to ask him why he pursued music and fame. York replies, it's filling the hole, right? That's what everyone does, filling the hole. During the French Open, I found out that one of my childhood heroes, Chrissy Everett, was struggling with cancer. Growing up, I Watched Chrissy Everett whenever I could, believe it, as a young kid getting up early to watch Wimbledon and Chrissy Everett. And for some of you, this next statement will make some sense. Most of you, it won't, so you'll have to Google it. I always was pulling for Chrissy and Jimmy Connors, always. Moving on. Chris Everett was interviewed by Good Housekeeping magazine. Asked about her Hall of Fame career. She said, winning 
made me feel like I was somebody. It made me feel pretty. It was like being hooked on a drug. I needed the wins, the applause, in order to have an identity. Pride. Babylon wanted to cover itself with glory. Pride fuels empires, large and small. The empire named Babylon and the empire named Larry Renault. Just like the Babylonians, the reason they are burning down cities and the reason Chrissy is trying to win tennis tournaments and the reason that I am trying to preach is often because I feel so insecure and I want you to notice me and I want you to applaud me and I want you to say good job and I, I need you to feel validated in my world. Pride is at the heart of every culture, large or small. And it's why we work so hard to feel beautiful and to be loved and to be called significant. We're trying to cover ourselves with honor. No one has written more eloquently and challenging than Lewis Schmieds, a professor of theology out at Fuller. He writes this, and it's a rather long quote, but I'd encourage you with the Holy Spirit's prompting to make this something that you actually take in and say, Lord, is it me? Is this me? Okay? Pride in the religious sense is the arrogant refusal to let God be God. It is to grab God's status for oneself. In the vivid language of the Bible, pride is puffing up in God's face. Pride is turning down God's invitation to join the dance as a creature in his garden and wishing instead to be the creator, independent, reliant on one's own resources. The fantasy that we can make it as little gods leaves us eventually empty at the center. And once we decide we have to make it on our own, we are attacked by fear and anxiety that we can't make it on our own. So we learn to swagger, to bluff, to use our symbols to cover up our fears that we lack substance. Here we, here we go. We force other people to act as buttresses for the shaky ego that pride created by emptying our soul of God created. Every new situation calls forth questions. What can I get out of this to support the need of my ego for applause and power? And as we encounter new people, we wonder, how can this person contribute to my need for applause and power? And we project our own anxieties onto other people. So when others come to us, we wonder, what's this person's pitch? What do they want from me? And life becomes a campaign to use people to support oneself and a constant battle to avoid having others use us that way. 
Do you see yourselves in this? Unless you are profoundly sure of your value so that it does not matter to you how people regard you, and I have never met anyone that I would say is fully that, you are out there using people to make yourself feel good about yourself. And that's the pride that built the walls of Babylon. At the front end of every empire, it's pride. At the tail end of every empire, it's idolatry. Verses 18 and 19, we'll put on the screen, you can check them. Any life or culture that is not based on the glory and grace of God will be based on an idol. We talk about this a lot at Waterstone. An idol is taking something good and making it ultimate. An idol is taking something created and making it your creator and asking it to do for you what only God can do. And what God's point here in Habakkuk is this, is that every government has its idols, things it lifts up and things it demonizes. Now, my thinking has been influenced here by a Manhattan pastor named Tim Keller. And what I'm going to share for the next two or three minutes comes from him, but it's just radically rested in me. What Keller says is that every government has its idols. So you think about governments like in the East and the Middle East. One of the things that they value is family. Don't shame the family. Don't shame our people. But what happens when family becomes an idol of a government? Well, you know what happens. Honor killings. Treating women like chattel totally disregarding gay and transgendered people as if they don't exist. We know what happens. Here in the West, Keller says, that the idol of the Western governments are individual expression and self-fulfillment. And when that becomes an idol of a government, what happens? There are no boundaries, none on sex. Fewer and fewer by the day. There are the total de-evolution of family and gender norms. And what happens in a culture of individual expression gone to seed? Abortion. Bloodshed. At the expense of human fulfillment. We saw this in the text too, right? We saw this in, in verses 15 to 17. It said at the end of verse 17 that God notices that the empire is messing with the forests of Lebanon. They are mistreating the environment and animals. And God says, I see that. And all the liberals in the room are saying, yes! And then in verses 15 and 16, God had said, and I also see that when government pulls all restraints off this thing that I've designed called sex, things go wrong. And all the conservatives in the room are going, yes. And the point, all of it is wrong. You see what we like to do. And this, this explains American culture in 2022. You ready? What we like to do 
is when our idols aren't being recognized or our idols are being demonized, we do what Adam and Eve did when they were confronted with their sin, when someone, God's saying it's wrong. We blame. We blame. Uh, during the pandemic, I've had this fun experiment that I've done because it's been free. I've subscribed to both the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal. And I read these free newsletters every day. And do you know what I've discovered? I'll let you in on this. They say very different things. I won't name names, but one of the papers says that all the problems in America are because of greedy business capitalists. And one of the other papers said all the problems in America are caused by ill-conceived, overreaching governmental policies. And the Bible says that you can never get off by being so simplistic as, dare I say, the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal. Because when God says, what's wrong with the government, this one, that one, and everyone, what's wrong is it's because sinners are running it. What's wrong is sin. No one captured this better more recent times than a man named, one of my heroes, Alexander Solzhenitsyn, who in the 60s and 70s was imprisoned for standing up for human rights behind the Iron Curtain in the Soviet Union. And because he stood up, he spent most of his adult life in jail, being truly treated. But you couldn't stop his pen. And he wrote this book called The Gulag Archipelago. And if you've tried to read The Gulag Archipelago, I think it's now like 2,000 pages. So I've read portions of it. And you get this sense of building, building, and you get to this point in the Gulag Archipelago where you sense that Alexander Solzhenitsyn is going to talk about the Communist Party. And you're sitting there, boy, I hope he blasts them. I hope he blasts them. I hope he just tells it like it is and gives the communists their due. And do you know what Alexander Solzhenitsyn writes as a Christian in perhaps the most quoted section of the uh, uh, Gulag Archipelago, he writes this. So let the reader who expects this book to be a political expose slam its cover shut right now. If only it were all so simple. If only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds and it were necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them. If only. But the line, here it is, the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. Confronted by the pit into which we are about to toss those who have done us harm, we halt. Stricken dumb, it is after all only because of the way things worked out that they were the executioners and we weren't. This is a profoundly Christian understanding of culture. We believe that pride comes from every human heart and it's human hearts that function in government and thus every government has things that are idolized and some things that are demonized but the view that will not save us is well we just get all the bad people on that side of the aisle or all the bad people on that side of the aisle we get rid of them and then we can be saved the view of christianity 
is that our problem is sin. And therefore, do you want to know the source of evil in all human government? <laughs> you. And you. And, and you. And me. And me. The pride of every human heart affects every culture. And for you to start saying the bad people are over there or you're part of the problem. You are not part of the solution. Do you know what part of the solution is? Humility. I don't have it all figured out. I'm not the one moving the historical furniture around on the global stage. Do you know what another part of the solution is? Repentance. Repentance means aligning yourself with God, especially in engaging with government, using the tools he gave us to use. What are those tools? Prayer. Can I just be a little prophetic here and say, do you pray more or do you watch network news more? Hmm? Because you know what network news is? Blame, 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 blame. Get rid of the bad people. That's not the solution. Do you know what part of the solution is? Prayer, loving your neighbor, Jesus conversations, serving the oppressed and the poor, justice and mercy, which Habakkuk was, Habakkuk was so steamed that his people weren't doing. Those are the tools. And to get sidetracked on the blame puts us off mission. And let me push this a little farther if you're not offended yet. Humility, repentance, and using God's tools, and grace. Isn't Solzhenitsyn right when he says, when you are about to throw your executioners into the pit, a Christian understands that it's only by the grace of God that you were not them. You didn't earn anything. You hit the historical jackpot, being born where you're born. Do you understand how crucial this is when we are in hard times with our government <laughs> not to spend our emotional resources on finding out who the horrible people are and off with their heads? Do you know what that's called? Babylonian. Deliver us, O Lord. The problem is sin. We are sinners. And the answer is gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ, which humbles and restores the human heart. Is anyone going to say amen this morning about any of this? Or give me the finger. I don't care. Are you hearing this? All right, let's talk about hope. We need humility to engage hard times with our government, and we need hope. Did you notice that as we were reading through, very dark, all this poetry, whoa, 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 that there were two lightning bolts? The first one was in verse 20 at the very end of the passage. Here's a source of hope in hard times. History, right? History. 
We know the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent. Here's what I want to say, that if you read history and you look back, you see that all along God's been moving the furniture. Do you know how the Babylonian Empire ended? We know this, by the way, from the book of Daniel in the First Testament. We know this from an archaeological discovery in Iraq called the Cyrus Cylinder. You could Google it. We know it by the Greek historians Exonophon and Herodotus. They all describe a date and what happened on that date. October 12th. 539 B.C., all of these historians in the Cyrus Cylinder say that they're uh, in Babylon, in the big city, you know, um, within the walls, impregnable. They were having this orgy. They were even using the golden goblets from the ancient Israelite temple. They were drunk. And all of a sudden on a wall appears a human hand. That's why we don't drink. <laughs> and the hand writes, Mene, Mene, Teko, Parson. Aramaic, numbered, numbered, weighed, divided. Belshazzar's like, find me somebody who knows what that means. And they look, and guess who they find? An old goat by the name of Daniel. By the way, this is free. Daniel was the most powerful man of his generation. He was high up in Babylonian government. I mean, like second from the top. And yet, do you know what he did? And you know where his faith and who he relied on, even at such a position of influence? Well, you remember, right, what got him thrown into the lion's den. Three times a day, he stopped what he was doing. He turned toward the temple 600 miles away, and he prayed. They're having this banquet. Daniel comes in, numbered, numbered, weighed, divided. Belshazzar, I'm old and I don't care anymore. You're done. That night, October 12, 539 B.C., the Medo-Persian Corps of Army Engineers diverted the Euphrates River and an elite force snuck under the magnificent walls of Babylon on the drained riverbed and made their way to Belshazzar and assassinated him. And in an hour, there was a new world power on the stage, just like God said. When we're engaging with governments during hard times, we remember that God is still enthroned. He's moving the furniture on the global scale. But secondly, we also have hope because we look to the future. Did you notice that second bolt of lightning, Habakkuk 2.14? We read, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. The reason we are empty inside, the reason that our pride leads us to idolatry, the reason that we use people to bolster our image, the reason we need to win tennis matches, the reason we need to make money is because we're hungry for glory, to make a name for ourselves. But the only glory that will settle our hearts finally is the beauty of God, the glory of God, 
The love of God, the applause of God, that's the beauty that will settle our hearts. And this verse tells us that one day we will bathe in it, we will breathe it, we will wear it. How can that be? It's because the king of kings left his glory and became one of us and lived a life of justice and mercy and love all the way to being killed in a shameful death on a cross. All of that so that we'd be forgiven. All of that so that we'd be cared righteous and beautiful. All of that so that we could spend eternity face to face with God. We get the glory we've always craved when we turn to Jesus and say, I'm yours. Have you done that? Do you want your heart settled? Do you want a, a life of significance, of joy, of trust, of faith, even in hard times? Turn to Jesus in this moment and say, I'm yours. You know, when evil times come, we're all in the watchtower, wondering what's going to happen, and some get cynical and some get angry, and some blame others, and they lose hope. Christians are the opposite. We are called to be humble, and we admit our part in what's wrong. And we have hope because the gospel has humbled us in such a way that we have more confidence in Jesus than ever before. We have humility, we have hope, and we remember that one day the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. Let us pray. Holy Spirit, search our hearts. Show us our wrongs. Show us what is Babylonian in us. We confess greed. We confess that we've neglected mercy for the poor and justice for the oppressed by how we use our money. We, we confess violence. We confess pride. Pride in our status, pride in our technology, pride in our education, pride in our wealth, pride in our power. Do we not acknowledge our brokenness and our rebellion against you and your ways? We confess idolatry, that we've turned to the gods of money and power and security and status, self-image. Habakkuk speaks, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. The Lord is in his holy temple. Since this is true, we choose to believe that our safest place is in the hold of the very heart of God and that Jesus has put us there. And so we say, glory to God in the highest. Amen.